This is a preface to the book called The Matrix of a Breakaway Civilization, Geopolitics, National Security, Nuclear Weapons, Covert Operations, Space, and UFOs by Joseph P. Farrell. The book was published in 2012. The preface is available as a sample on Amazon.com, so I figure it's okay to read it. Note from your reader, I must say that Farrell was way ahead of me on this. I was not open to these ideas at all in 2012, but especially the last several years of the COVID deception have convinced me that something very strange is going on, something I don't understand. And so I look to a book like this for clues that might create a context for understanding what's happened to us in the last few years. If I may summarize the summary, Farrell tells the story of post-war American intelligence operations confronting the USSR as a nuclear-armed enemy and simultaneously the Roswell incident and other demonstrations that somebody or something is capable of penetrating our airspaces with technology that's way over our heads. The fear of the Soviets was transferred over toward a fear of the ETs, and a culture of paranoia was created in which secrecy and crime were justified by the perceived need to respond to these powerful enemies. While Farrell makes a plausible case for the attitudes that led to the breakaway civilization, he does not, in this preface, address three questions that I find most interesting. One, what technologies do we think that they have? Two, are they actually building cities and transportation and energy infrastructure based on this technology? Three, if so, where are they? Are they underground, undersea, in Antarctica, on the moon? He goes deeply into the motives and the culture of the military intelligence bureaucracies that might have led to a breakaway civilization and he talks about the criminal infiltration of the world's financial systems that was necessary to finance this effort. For detailed speculation about what they have and where they are hiding, we have less to go on. They're doing a good job of hiding. There are some clues in Richard Dolan's two short volumes and other hints scattered on the internet. Here begins the text of Farrell's preface. This book is about exactly what the title and subtitle say it's about, covert wars, breakaway civilizations, secret space programs, and psychological operations. But behind that rather blandly limiting list of concepts lurks a hidden jungle. Details that are bizarre, bewildering, and pregnant with huge implications. Even a brief catalog of these details is sufficient to portray just how bizarre, bewildering, and significant those details are. For in this book, you are going to read about concentration camp victims, con men, grifters, industrial-scale Nazi counterfeiting, massive post-war financial fraud, hidden systems of finance, stolen computer software that tracks it all, Roman Catholic cardinal archbishops, banksters, secret agents, generals, the Mafia, the CIA, the Gestapo, Imperial Japan's Kapaite, Bullion, Precious Gems, General Reinhardt Heydrich, General Yamashita of Yamashita's Gold, Crop Circles, machines and technologies that can create earthquakes, weather systems, and mind control machines, economic warfare, psychological operations against humans, and others, assassinations, secret space programs, including a possible actual shooting war between earthly nations and between them and others, official and secret interest in ancient history, aliens, artifacts, alchemy, ceremonial magic, rockets, robots, the 19th century airship mystery, UFOs, extraterrestrials, subterrestrials, and crypto-terrestrials. USO's thermonuclear weapons, hidden or little-known technologies, possible secret societies, and, most importantly, how all these things are related. In the predecessor volume to this sub-series of books, called Saucers, Swastikers, and PsyOps, I stated that 
This is not an exciting book, but it is a necessary one. This book, like its predecessor volume, is not an exciting book, but it is necessary. Unlike its predecessor, any objective view of the previous survey of its content will reveal that it is not only not an exciting book, not only a necessary book, but also a messy book. Thus, by necessity, any author attempting to write a book proposing to deal with covert wars, breakaway civilizations, etc., is asking for trouble in spades. Consider the scope of merely one of those terms, covert wars. By definition, this term would have to include not only ordinary covert operations of all sorts, psychological operations, financial and economic warfare, cyber warfare, assassinations, and so on, being waged among nations, but it would have to take into account how the concept of covert wars is modified and vastly expanded when considered in the context of Mr. Richard Dolan's idea of a breakaway civilization and a secret space program of perhaps actual shooting wars being fought right under our noses by dint of technologies capable of manipulating Mother Nature and fought secretly not only between nations but between hidden groups and perhaps between all of them and someone from out there, extraterrestrials? or down there, subterrestrials? Consequently, and by another necessity, this preface may be one of the longest prefaces in alternative research media history to a book that engages in nothing less than high-octane speculation. The inclusion of the components of one, breakaway civilizations, and two, space, adds dimensions to the problem not normally considered such as covert operations between hidden fractions, extraterrestrial states and organizations, private syndicates, such as the mafia and so on, in addition to the sort of covert operations between nation states that one normally considers. Additionally, with space as a component for consideration, yet another new dimension is added, namely that some of these covert wars and psyops are possibly being waged not only between humans both on Earth and in space, but also between humans and non-humans, both in space and possibly here on Earth as well. Such sweeping considerations thus necessitate a primarily thematic rather than chronological methodology in a certain sense, the case for a breakaway civilization is outlined here in the preface. The supporting facts, or rather, perceived footprints and signatures of such an entity are examined in the text. We are dealing in the preface with the skeletons and in the main text with the muscles and organs. It is for the individual reader to decide if this hideous creature is capable of standing and walking. So, what are the basic questions that need to be asked and which we shall confront in this book? 1. Does a breakaway civilization actually exist? 2. What are its footprints, its signatures? 3. Why have a secret space program? 4. What is the size of the secret space program? 5. How far back do the secret space program and breakaway civilizations go and who might be involved? Six. How does one define a breakaway civilization? 7. How is it financed? What are the costs of its maintenance? How does one envision it financing its covert activities and technological developments? 8. Is there more than one such breakaway civilization and secret space program? Or are there competing and perhaps occasionally warring interests within one single entity? 9. Who is running it or them? 10. Is this breakaway civilization in contact or in conflict with UFOs? A. The Culture of Secrecy, Covert Operations and Their Implications With these preliminary thoughts and questions in mind, it's now time to consider the concept of a breakaway civilization as others have envisioned it and as I envision it here. It's my contention that within the body of research into this signally important subject, 
there have been two discrete and distinct approaches, and that neither of these taken alone is sufficient basis by which to comprehend the breakaway civilization and its activities. In short, it's my contention that if one approaches the subject solely from the standpoint of its covert operations and its alignment to intelligence bureaucracies, and the international criminal drug trade, or conversely, solely from the standpoint of its technological research, black projects, space activities, or UFO interests, then either way one will not have a complete picture, for this breakaway civilization is engaged on both sides and for reasons arising from its culture. This culture was formed under the historical circumstances of the end of World War II and the peculiar and tightly interwoven strategic, geopolitical, and technological imperatives that arose from it. The most obvious change to standard geopolitical and strategic planning was, of course, a technological one, the discovery of nuclear fission and the invention of the atomic bomb, and a few years later, the thermonuclear hydrogen bomb. This fact, plus the knowledge that inevitably the Soviet Union would acquire a similar capability, completely changed the nature of strategic calculation. It became necessary for the USA and the West to contrive the means to first contain, and then increasingly to engage, and then to roll back, ultimately to defeat the Soviet Union, and thereby to impose its own unipolar hegemony on the globe. And it had to do this without resort to nuclear warfare if possible. It is from this geopolitical circumstance that the twin means of doing so, covert operations and technological end runs around nuclear weapons, arose, and with them the bureaucratic imperatives to create a breakaway civilization. These circumstances inevitably meant a turn toward covert operations and the use of proxies or cutouts as a means of avoiding direct and potentially catastrophic confrontation while simultaneously pursuing technologies that would do an end run around the nuclear problem and eventually rendering nuclear weapons themselves obsolete by the invention of even grander strategic weapons, weapons moreover that would not have spillover consequences on those using them. This twin matrix of covert operations and covert research projects forms the more general matrix of the breakaway civilization, and from it, in turn, arose another profound and early development for the marriage of covert operations and covert research, also fueled the quest for weapons whose deployment itself could be overtly masked as acts of God or of nature. To put this point even more succinctly, the covert operations mentality or culture of plausible deniability would seek a technological capacity to wage war against an enemy or its population undetectably and with plausible deniability. Thus it would seek technologies liable to misinterpretation by their use, i.e. weather war, earthquakes, solar events, and so on, or technologies able to directly modify the brain's interpretation of their use, including the eradication of the memory of their use, or of the subject's own use as a Manchurian candidate. In short, the technology itself, like covert operations, becomes a product of the culture of plausible deniability. This presents also another essential factor in the evaluation of the technological aspects of the breakaway civilization and its covert operations and research activities for its terrestrial preoccupation the containment, engagement, rollback, and defeat of the Soviet Union, and its extraterrestrial one, the UFO phenomenon, necessitates that the greatest effort will be sought to obtain technologies capable of the greatest utility in dealing with both perceived threats. In this regard, one need only think of the utility of spy satellites, both to reconnoiter Soviet ICBM sites and other activities, and to monitor and track potential UFO events and activities in nearby space. 
In other words, this dual matrix implies that both motivations were crucial factors in the development of spy satellites and other secret space program technologies at the outset, and that to explain the development solely from the motivation of monitoring terrestrial ICBMs is a convenient and to some extent diverting explanation for what the ultimate and deeper purpose may have been. This may be illustrated by the geopolitical context of the Cold War in which the culture of threat assessment and its associated technologies like the high-altitude, high-speed reconnaissance airplane and the spy satellite and the deep robotic space probe grew. The last point, robotic space probes, may seem unrelated to the first two unless we take into consideration the culture of threat assessment. L. Parker Temple III, in his scholarly and well-documented history of space reconnaissance technologies, stated this need in relationship to the national security structure in this fashion, quote, The year 1952 approached without much increase in danger, the CIA issued a revised NIE-48, likelihood of the deliberate initiation of full-scale war by the Soviet Union. Unlike the contradiction of its earlier estimate, it concluded that deliberate initiation of an offensive by the Soviets was unlikely in 1952. The estimate also stated the conditions under which the Soviets might initiate a conflict. Either the Soviet leaders had to believe that a Western attack on the Soviet Union was imminent, or an irreversible power shift to favor the West was occurring. Far ahead of projections, the Soviets detonated their first thermonuclear device on 12 August 1953 with a yield of 400 kilotons. Despite U.S. hydrogen bombs yields in the megatons by that time, the detonation served notice that the Soviets could produce an indigenous device. The surprise was not quite another Pearl Harbor, but it underscored the U.S. need to have some means to learn what the Soviets were doing. Once more, Stalin's threat to surpass the United States came to mind. The Soviets were narrowing the gap. When would they overcome it? The situation when the year of maximum danger, 54, had finally arrived was that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff favored a joint military command for air defense. The recognition of the need, however, seemed a bit late in the face of intelligence estimates that had warned of the danger of a Soviet attack. The CIA had changed its assessment, saying that the likelihood of general war was increasingly unlikely before 1958. The impact of the U.S. inability to see inside the Soviet Union was readily apparent, the need for reliable reconnaissance seemed to be more important as the predicted threat failed to materialize. Our estimates were wrong, but how wrong were they? End of quote. The advent of nuclear and thermonuclear weapons was the game changer, for it became essential to estimate any potential capabilities of other nations, and to do so required the developments of appropriate technologies. As will be seen in the main text, this issue was very early on coupled with the modern advent of the UFO, since these appeared in part to be responses to or reconnoitering of terrestrial nuclear capabilities, and thus in the creation of the technologies and culture of threat assessment. What was true of U.S. response to the Soviet Union's development was even more true for both countries of the UFO and the potentialities it represented. Note that there are three factors involved and that each of these, considered alone and apart from the others, would have required enormous funding. We have the following elements. First, the need to establish a semi-permanent covert operations capability to engage, contain, roll back, and eventually defeat the communist bloc. Second, the need to develop and deploy the technologies of high-altitude and space reconnaissance platforms in the form of spy satellites to assess the potential threat posed by the communist bloc, and third, the need to develop and deploy the technologies of space reconnaissance platforms in the form of both spy satellites and deep space robotic probes to reconnoiter the possible basis of observed UFO activity and to assess their threat.
This would have been seen as a national security issue apart from any considerations of the origin of the phenomenon, since UFO activity was closely associated with American and presumably Soviet defense capabilities and installations. I've written elsewhere of the system of finance and of the interface it required with the international criminal drug trade. Given the list outlined above, such a system by necessity would have to have been supplemented from other sources. Thus, as a consequence of the simultaneous emergence of these three things, enormous pressure was developed not only to create an independent system of finance, but the system had to be both an enormous system and an utterly hidden and covert one. Since such funding could only be had either by massive increases of taxation, which would have raised inconvenient questions, or by massive fraud, then ultimately it required, as will be discovered in the main text, the use of new kinds of fraud on an industrial scale, a scale implying the complicity both of certain prime banks, or at least certain individuals within their management, and of various organs of intelligence, not only in order to make the fraud work, but also to maintain the system as a steady source of funding and of profits. This element is also a major contributory factor to the culture of the breakaway civilization, for it means that its perpetuation will become a matter of vested interest, whether a threat really exists or not, as it is a source of tremendous profits to those participating in it. Consequently, it is this system, with all of its national security implications, that constitutes the ultimate though hidden source of the public culture of corruption so prevalent today. It necessitates likewise, as we shall see, the development of technologies for the covert monitoring of financial activities and of any potential threat to the fraudulent system being put into place, since that system itself is the lifeblood of the covert operations and technological arms of that civilization. We may consider the massive scale of financing needed in such an operation by examining its UFO-related component from another perspective. On the view that UFOs would represent extraterrestrial interplanetary craft, or worse, craft from outside this solar system, then it would appear to represent the achievements of possibly a Class I or Class II civilization on the Kardashev scale. For those unfamiliar with the scale, Kardashev was a Russian scientist who developed a classification system for potential extraterrestrial civilizations. A class one civilization would be a civilization whose energy requirements were those of an entire planet. A class two civilization would be a civilization requiring the energy of an entire star. And a class three civilization would be a civilization requiring the energy of an entire galaxy. In my previous work, I have slightly restated this or developed a corollary, and it's this corollary with which we are concerned here. The corollary may be simply stated as follows. The energy requirements of any particular Kardashev civilization class imply the technological ability to manipulate systems on a planetary, stellar, or galactic scale. It's therefore entirely possible that the UFO, understood as such a technology, requires the economic resources of at least a minimum of a class one civilization to produce, and therefore would require similar resources on the part of a human breakaway civilization to study or to reproduce. But since our civilization is just barely on the cusp of becoming a class one civilization, its economic and financial resources and the absence of an efficient energy technology such as fusion-based or zero-point energy would arguably not be sufficient to the task unless a means or mechanism were contrived to vastly expand its financial resources by stimulating a vast, though hidden, expansion of credit and a suctioning of hard assets in order to emulate technologically the capabilities of UFOs. Thus, in addition to these terrestrial components, the end of World War II also found the engagement of a wholly unexpected factor, 
one having massive technological and national security implications of its own for the emerging national security state, the UFO or flying saucer, and the potential it represented for a wholly different kind of national security threat, the extra or non-terrestrial one. With this added factor, the covert operations, covert projects, milieu, had an additional geostrategic and financial burden to confront, and this factor also became part of the culture of the breakaway civilization. It is also suggested throughout the book that the basic strategy by which the emerging breakaway civilization dealt with the Soviet Union via covert and psychological operations designed to contain, engage, roll back, and defeat them became also, to a certain extent, the paradigm by which it dealt with the UFO phenomenon. In other words, it is the culture of the breakaway civilization that is the crucial component to understanding its policies toward the UFO phenomenon. The covert war against the Soviet Union, to a certain extent, also encompassed other potential enemies and became a covert war against an unknown target of a very different type. The black research inevitably implied by the UFO phenomenon and its interaction with the breakaway civilization also inevitably implied that it may function as a means of achieving the very technological end run around nuclear weapons and the strategic advantage sought against the Soviet Union. Consequently, in any assessment of the nature of the breakaway civilization or deep state or secret team or secret government or whatever one wishes to call it, it is impossible to divorce the world of covert operations from that of covert research, from the UFO, from the covert financing undergirding these activities. This is an important clue as to the culture and structure of the breakaway civilization, for as Professor Peter Dale Scott observes, this means one is not dealing with a conspiracy in any classic sense of the term. It's not a structure with activities that are self-contained and thus extrinsic to the basic sociopolitical order of the United States, but an integral cause and part of a larger war machine, an apparatus with a settled purpose fixed on achieving and maintaining global American dominance. In this, we are now confronting its total culture of total power and full-spectrum dominance, for by the nature of the case, the covert operations mentality will also give rise to the demand to understand the UFO phenomenon in order to wage covert operations of containment, minimally, roll back optimally, and if required, against it. This implies that not only could the UFO phenomenon be exploited for terrestrial psychological operations, as outlined in the previous book, Saucers, Swastikas, and PSYOPs, but also that psychological operations be initiated directly against the UFO phenomenon, in addition to more direct technological confrontations. Implicit in the survey of developments outlined above is another cultural phenomenon. Indeed, one may view it in some respects as the key or defining cultural meme of the breakaway civilization, and that factor is the total culture of total power and full-spectrum dominance. It's a total culture because it is an all-pervasive and steady influence, a constant matrix in which its policies are formulated and its activities conducted, it's a culture of total power in that in its efforts to contain both perceived threats, it requires the manipulation of perceptions where it cannot control or directly confront the phenomenon itself. All the while pursuing the means, technological and otherwise, of doing precisely that, the manipulation of perceptions of something is in itself a means of acquiring power over it. The mentality of engagement, containment, rollback, and ultimate defeat is, of course, a long-term strategy requiring the institutionalization and enculturalization of these goals. And from this arises a perpetual war machine and a culture of power and dominance, a kind of perpetual warfare, welfare, socialism. Professor Peter Dale Scott, who has approached this phenomenon more or less exclusively from the standpoint of covert operations, 
and the nexus between them and the international drug trade puts this point in the following way. Quote, Today, everything that has ever been labeled invisible government or shadow government can be considered parts of this machine, not just the CIA and organized crime, but also such other non-accountable powers as the military-industrial complex, now the financial military-industrial complex, privatized military and intelligence contractors, public relations agents, media magnates, and even Washington's most highly organized lobbyists. What we are describing is not just a neutral power apparatus, but an apparatus with a settled purpose, a manipulative mindset, fixed on achieving and maintaining global dominance. End quote. While Scott is not writing about UFOs and their relationship to the deep state, his assessment of its power-obsessed culture is worth noting since it's equally applicable to its approach to UFOs for the common uniting feature behind such events as the Kennedy assassination or post-war terrorists and false flag incidents to the overwhelming evidence of government suppression of information concerning UFOs and to its relationship to the criminal underworld or to post-war fascists is a global dominance machine or war machine with resources both within and outside government united not by conspiratorial oaths and handshakes, but by a shared mentality and purpose. This culture not only generates enormous corruption, but also a kind of psychopathological or sociopathological approach to the overworld with which it's still connected for the culture of dominance creates an illusion which, as Professor Scott avers, is self-perpetuating the culture of dominance. He states, creates megalomaniacal illusions of insuperable control. And this illusion in turn is crystallized into a prevailing ideology of dominance, end quote. This culture, moreover viewed from the standpoint of the overworld civilization with which it's still connected, is delusional, indeed perhaps insane. As I contend in this book, and as I have suggested here in its preface, the UFO phenomenon affords the best entry into the culture and methodology of covert operations, the method called plausible deniability and deliberate perception management. For, as will be evident in the main text, when confronted by their inability to completely understand, much less control, the UFO phenomenon, the breakaway civilization could at least manage some degree of control over it by means of engineering public perception of it. Again, though not writing directly to the relationship of the UFO phenomenon to the national security state and to its contribution to the emergence of that state as a kind of breakaway civilization, nonetheless, Professor Peter Dale Scott's remarks are equally applicable to this phenomenon. For one of that civilization's earliest and most consistently repeated denials was that the UFO posed no real national security threat or even concern, even while covertly it was behaving precisely as if it did. Professor Scott has noted that one hallmark of any civilization, breakaway or otherwise, is that it is a great conspiracy of organized denial. This organized denial is most evident in what Scott calls deep events, namely those events that are either orchestrated and carried out by the breakaway civilization, or events whose public perceptions are managed and influenced by it. These deep events are, quote, events that are systematically ignored, suppressed, or falsified in public and even internal government, military, and intelligence documents, as well as in the mainstream media and public consciousness. Underlying them is frequently the involvement of deep forces linked either to the drug traffic or to agencies of surveillance or to both together, whose activities are extremely difficult to discern or document. A clearly defined deep event will combine both internal features, evidence such as a discernible cover-up that aspects are being suppressed, and external features, an ongoing and perhaps irresoluble controversy as to what happened, 
some deep events like the 1968 assassinations, the Tonkin Gulf incident, and 9-11 clearly have both features, end quote. These deep events, moreover, are better understood collectively than in isolation, for when looked at together, they constitute a larger pattern, a pattern that constitutes a deep history of that breakaway civilization. It is evident that the characteristics of such deep events are equally applicable to the UFO phenomenon, and that it indeed qualifies as such a deep event, and moreover, one of an ongoing nature. This is a crucial point for many in the wake of the collapse of the Soviet Union and end to the Cold War, have questioned why the national security and military establishment was not ended, or at least dramatically curtailed. The answer must surely lie in part in the fact that the establishment was not founded solely to deal with the Soviet phenomenon, but also with the UFO phenomenon, which shows no sign of abating. In any case, the nature of ongoing cover-ups and continued controversy over the interpretation of deep events implies that yet another technique and technology that the culture of dominance will want to acquire is the technique and technology of perception management, social engineering, mind control. For these will afford the quickest and easiest way to dominate the ufological phenomenon in a soft fashion while it eagerly, simultaneously, and secretly seeks the means to engage and contain, and if it perceived necessary to roll back and ultimately defeat it by the hard fashion. In short, the breakaway civilization has been engaged in a covert war, not only against the Soviet Union and others since World War II, but has also been engaged in a covert war against the UFO phenomenon since World War II, since both spring from a common cultural matrix and meme, total power, total dominance. In any analysis of the breakaway structure, one must discern its structural and factional components by the historical circumstances that led to its creation. While some of these components and historical circumstances have already been alluded to previously, we need to take note of the following points. Historically, the matrix of the breakaway civilization drew from the following arrangements and events. One, the nexus or interface between the Anglo-American financial and intelligence elite and their World War II Nazi and fascist counterparts, as exemplified by the wartime agreement struck between U.S. intelligence mandarins and German military intelligence general Reinhard Galen. The implicit agreement between Anglo-American financial oligarchy and the post-war Nazi international to launder Nazi plunder through Western banks, an agreement implied by the composition and implied purpose of the early Bilderberger meetings and other events the ties between American intelligence, the Texas oilman Hunt and Murchison and General Galen's organization, and the pre-war German-American business ties that were, for all intents and purposes, resumed after the war. As I have outlined these components of the breakaway civilization in previous books, they will not be reviewed at any length here, save in cases where it's necessary. But in addition to these relationships, the book will outline the following historical circumstances and events in the evolution of the breakaway civilization. Number two, a similar interface or nexus of relationships is obtained between the post-war Anglo-American elites and the surviving Nazi and European fascists also emerged between American elites and the elites of the Far East. This appears to have occurred in two distinct phases a pre-war arrangement between nationalist Chinese Generalissimo Chiang Kai-shek and the American financial oligarchy, and a post-war nexus between the Japanese Yakuza, Saibatsu, and Japanese imperial family. Unlike the corresponding nexus between the American elite and the post-war European fascists, a nexus that encompassed the whole spectrum of interfaces between the American intelligence and covert operations complex, American military-industrial black projects complex, and American financial elites and their corresponding Nazi and fascist counterparts, 
the nexus between the Japanese elite was initially mediated much more narrowly by contact with the American military and covert operations complex. Three, additionally, all of these interfaces are in turn linked to the international criminal underground drug trade, and this mediation occurs directly via the involvement of the American intelligence covert operations complex, but also through the involvement of the fascist international and oriental components. And four, Finally, the matrix of the breakaway civilization arises from the vast complex of secret weapons that arose during World War II, particularly in the United States and Nazi Germany, and with their effective fusion via Operation Paperclip after the war. Effectively, this represents the corporatization of advanced research having an impact on military and national security matters. Consideration of these general factors reveals the basic structural components of this breakaway civilization. First, the financial component comprised of central banks and prime banks in the West and major brokerage houses. These constitute the interface between the breakaway civilization and the overworld or public civilization. This component is also comprised of financial institutions deliberately established by the intelligence covert operations complex in order to enable its activities more directly and to exercise more direct control and security over them. As outlined previously in this preface and elsewhere in my works, there are at least three major components of the financing of this structure, beginning with the most visible and least secure to the deepest level. A, black budget financing via budget loopholes and reallocation within the budget of the host state, the USA. B, financing through criminal activity, including economic warfare against various nations, and also particularly via the drug trade. And C, at the deepest level, a completely hidden system of finance involving massive securities and bullion fraud and rehypothecation, in part to create massive leverage for the financial oligarchies, and in part to raise the enormous sums required by the breakaway civilization. To the covert operations intelligence military complex, which uses part of these funds to sponsor massive operations, initially to engage, contain, and roll back, eventually defeat the Soviet Union, but more recently to suborn other nations to become host nations supporting the breakaway structure, literally leveraging a buyout of the world, possibly as a necessary response to a perceived UFO threat. And three, a corporate technological or military industrial complex comprising the scientific aerospace and other technological components. Before moving to a consideration of the factional components of this breakaway, it's worth pausing to note its inherent instability as revealed by the above three structural components, for clearly each component and the elites running them are a potential threat to the others, and the real power in the structure ultimately rests with those who know how to create and manipulate the technology. This instability is a crucial factor in consideration of the factions of the structure revealed in the historical review, we've encountered the following factional interests. First, the financial oligarchy represented by the central banks and prime banks of the nations involved, these being the USA, UK, France, Japan, Italy, Germany, and other Western European North and South American banks. Note here not only the continued existence of national factional interests, but of regional ones, as for example, between the USA for one part, the UK for another, and the continental European for a third. The front banks created more directly by the covert operations intelligence complex and more directly under its control and influence. Second, the international fascist component. Third, the Japanese component and fourth, the international criminal syndicates and drug cartels. Fifth, the American intelligence covert operations military industrial complex. 
It is thus evident from a consideration of this list of factions that the structure is thus not only inherently unstable from a component view, but that there are internal stresses upon those components created by the national, geopolitical, class interests, and cultural points of view that each faction brings to the table. Consider, for example, the second structural component, the covert operations intelligence complex. A quick glance at it will reveal that it is comprised of American, European, and criminal underground factions, each interfaced with the other. The best analogy to this overall structure, therefore, is that of the mafia itself, each capo having a jurisdiction or territory, each structural and factional component being a family. These families can gather round one table to discuss business and plan their activities, while at another level, when their individual factional interests are threatened, they can go to war with each other. Or, to view it in a different and deliberately mathematical way, we are dealing with networks of secret and hidden regions of component interests and organizations whose interfaces or common surfaces are detectable in the personnel that overlap between them. Performing this set of functions is one area and that set in another. These common surfaces can arise and dissipate between components and factions of the structural in accordance with the dictates of the circumstances of the moment. As the sets of functions and interests of the one overlap with those of another, sometimes creating enormous amalgamations and alliances behind the deep events of history, as with the JFK assassination. But in other cases, common surfaces can remain more or less semi-permanent nodes within the structure itself. Rightly, then, this organization is a segmented, polycentric, integrated network and a truly international phenomenon organized around a dominant American core in its intelligence, covert operations and research, and military activities. But it can thus give rise to, and has given rise to, serious factional infighting. As outlined above, one of the crucial defining features of the breakaway civilization, and one that will initially preoccupy us in the first part of the main text, is a vast and entirely hidden system of finance, a system, moreover, in more or less direct control of the intelligence and covert operation mandarins. This system once again emerged in the immediate post-war period with the creation of the national security state, as Pro Professor Scott notes, quote, one of the first acts of the newly created National Security Council in 1947 was to launder over $10 million in captured Axis funds to influence the Italian election of 1948. This use of off-the-books financing for criminal activity was institutionalized in 1948 with the creation of a covert Office of Policy Coordination, or OPC whose charge it was to engage in subversion against hostile states, end quote. As Professor Scott also notes, the Office of Policy Coordination was established by direct order of the National Security Council. No authorization from or role for Congress was ever in view. With this action, covert operations, intelligence, and criminal high finance became directly entwined. The crucial step in this process was the issuance of the National Security Council's Directive 10-2, dated June 18, 1948. This directive created the total culture and the criminal culture that went with it for this directive. Quote, gave the CIA's newly created OPC the task of carrying out covert operations among which were listed subversion against hostile states, including assistance to underground resistance movements, guerrillas, and refugee liberation groups. At this moment, OPC, authorized to engage in crimes, secured allies in its fight against communism by establishing backdoor links to professional criminal organizations, above all in the drug traffic. Relationships that had been sporadic before World War II became institutional and protected." End quote. European researcher Danielle Ganser, 
in his masterly survey of NATO's stay-behind guerrilla warfare commando units, put the role of crucial national security directive even more forcefully, as we shall discover. The success of covert operations in the Italian elections of 48 led President Truman and his advisors to begin to see covert operations as an effective and more or less permanent tool of statecraft. And insofar as they are related to the breakaway civilization beginning to emerge at this time, they became its standard method of operation. The covert operations and wars of a covert civilization Ganser cites much of NSC 10-2, and the reader while reading this memorandum should also note the peculiar ambiguity of its language. In certain phrases, it could be equally applicable to the UFO phenomenon. Quote, NSC 10-2 directed the OPC shall plan and conduct covert operations. By covert operations, NSC 10-2 designated all activities which are conducted or sponsored by this government against hostile foreign states or groups or in support of friendly foreign states or groups which are so planned and conducted that any U.S. government responsibility for them is not evident to unauthorized persons and that if uncovered, the U.S. government can plausibly disclaim any responsibility for them. End quote. Such methods of integration of covert operations into overall strategic planning and statecraft are heavy with implications for the subject of UFOs and how these also mightily impelled the organization, the breakaway civilization, for the integration of covert operations created an inherently long-term offensive viewpoint within that civilization, the viewpoint reflected in engagement, containment, rollback, and defeat. Since direct confrontation of a powerful enemy such as the Soviet Union was not possible, any such confrontation had to be via mercenaries, proxies, cutouts. And as I will contend in this book, a similar approach was therefore even more heavily implied for the UFO phenomenon. One cannot emphasize enough once again that the approach to both potential threats emerged from a common cultural view. With this very high, very speculative overview in mind, it's now time to begin our journey through the fog-filled Hall of Mirrors and with its most fundamental component, financing and fraud. Joseph P. Farrell, 2012